Hey there, educational rock stars. Are you feeling overwhelmed with lesson planning for your English language learners? Well, I've got some exciting news for you. Introducing our upcoming free webinar, Simplify Your Approach, Three Time-Saving Routines for ELL Success. Join me for a power-packed 45 minutes that's set to revolutionize your teaching strategy. In this webinar, we'll dive into three practical, easy-to-implement routines that will not only enhance your ELL teaching methods, but also save you hours of planning time. Yes, hours. So whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, these insights are tailored to help everyone make the most of their teaching time. Plus, you'll leave this webinar ready to implement these routines the next day. So mark your calendars for our two upcoming dates. I don't want you to miss this opportunity to transform your ELL lesson planning. To reserve your spot, simply sign up at www.equippingells.com slash routines. Trust me, your future self will thank you for it. I'll see you at the webinar. Teaching ELL students is a privilege and a joy. Is it easy? No way. But with the right support, you can feel empowered to tackle each day with ease and confidence. I'm your host, Beth Boucher, founder of Inspiring Young Learners. With over 10 years of teaching both nationally and internationally, I know what it takes to ensure that your ELL students have what they need to thrive today, tomorrow, and for life. I'm on a mission to empower you to equip your English language learners. Welcome to Equipping ELLs. Let's get to today's episode. Well, welcome to the show, Jamie. This is such an honor to have you here today. Thank you so much for the invitation. Absolutely. This is part of our summer series where I'm highlighting different authors and their books and really just bringing awareness to all the different amazing books that are out there so that my listeners can get their hands on some great reading. Hopefully they're doing it by the pool as they're taking some time off the summer, but I know the summer is such a great time to kind of give our minds that space and energy to dive into a good PD book and get us ready for the next school year without it being too much. So I am absolutely thrilled to have you today to talk about your brand new book that was just released called How to Love Teaching Again, Work Smarter, Beat Burnout, and Watch Your Students Thrive. So this is going to be such an absolutely amazing episode. Before we dive into your book, I would love for you to just share a little bit of background of your teaching journey, what you're doing now with my listeners. Yeah. So teaching was actually my second career. I was actually a lobbyist for the Arizona State Supreme Court, which was kind of a dream (laughs) job for me. I had so much fun, but then I had children and I feel like your whole heart changes. Everything you thought was your goal can like just be a little bit different. And I no longer wanted to work the hours I was working as a lobbyist. I didn't want to do all the commuting and everything. And so I actually took some time. I was a stay-at-home mom for several years, which was such an honor, but also a realization that this isn't, this isn't for me and I know it. And so I started going back to school while the kids were napping. And I just, I wanted to be a teacher, but I was also like really scared to even admit I wanted to be a teacher. And then when I finally got the courage to do it, I did a Facebook post that said, Jamie Sears is going back to school to be a teacher. And I thought, all oh, my friends are going to be like, yay, Jamie, congrats. <laughs> and I, I don't have some of that, but my cousin said something that 
kind of changed the trajectory of my career. She said, you can't be a great teacher and a great mom. You'll suck at one of them. Oh, nice. Wait, that's a gut punch. Not just a gut punch. And, you know, my friends like rallied and said, that's not true. That's not true. But there was still this little part of me that believed it all along. And so when I started teaching, I was constantly in fear of being a terrible teacher and being a terrible mom. And so I kind of went into it like, I'm going to prove them wrong. I'm going to be a great teacher. I just didn't know what that meant. Yeah. It meant to be a great teacher. And I ended up having some really terrible definitions of great teacher, which I know we can talk about in a bit, but I nearly burnt out in my very first year, my first year. And uh, then I had to have a real gut check. Like I want to be a teacher and a mom. And the word and is so powerful, but you can be a great teacher and a great mom or a great teacher and a great spouse, a great teacher and a great parent, a great teacher and a great daughter, friend, whatever it is that you other roles in your life. And I also realized that I have a whole skill set that I wasn't taking into teaching. Mm. When I was going to school, when I was a lobbyist, when I was a stay-at-home mom of four, I was always so good at simplifying things and creating systems to get Mm. things done. It was the only way that I could do the things I was doing. And I just wasn't using these strategies at school. And it was just like this dumb moment where I'm like, I know how to (laughs) fix this. And so I, I started implementing some of my strategies for productivity and boundaries and time management. And I fell in love with teaching. I truly fell in love with teaching. I started going home at my contracted hours. Not, not like immediately. This is Mm. not like a, you know, like a, (laughs) those get rich quick fixes type idea, but I did learn how to be a great teacher at school and then still leave and have another part of my life that I could enjoy guilt-free. That's, I guess that's the key, the guilt-free part. Yes. I ended up having to leave the classroom earlier than I wanted to, which was kind of heartbreaking because I truly did love what I was doing, but I have epilepsy Mm. and I was having a lot of seizures in the classroom. I felt like this just wasn't fair for eight-year-olds. The anxiety that they had over watching somebody that they cared so much about. So we made a really difficult decision to leave the classroom. And I promised my community of teachers, I said, I have to leave the classroom but I'm not going to leave education. Like you have been emailing me and asking me for more resources, more content, more ideas than I've ever had time to produce. I had to tell you, I don't have time for that. <laughs> I'm now going to use my extra time and I'm going to be your advocate and I'm going to help to support you in, in the ways that I can. And so that's what I have been doing. Mm-hmm. And that's what be teacher is just trying to be that support and that advocate that teachers need, but truly they don't have the time to yeah. to do it all while in the classroom and all of the extras in their uh, personal life. So I feel like I have an incredible job. It's a huge responsibility. I take it really seriously, but it is it is exactly what I was meant to do. And so I was meant to take this little journey to get right here. Oh, this is going to be so exciting to talk to you more about this journey you're taking because you really have made such an impact in education and in in such a variety of ways through your resources, through your course. I mean, you just offer so much to teachers. And so we're going to dive more into that. But I, I just love your story of, you know, really being where you're meant to be. And I think 
teachers, they, they need to see that they need to hear that. And that's what I want to get into today is because I know even just this first little clip that you've given us of, of your journey and, you know, finding that balance, finding that, that guilt-free of being able to come home. That's what we want for teachers. That's what we want for all of us is, is finding that where we can do this and this as it's possible. And it's possible to do that guilt-free. So I know just as you said that beginning part, teachers listening are saying, tell me more. What do I do? What, how do I get there? Um, and so that's what we're gonna be talking about today. So let's dive in and, and let's just really start with the tough question, facing some lies, some myths that have been just through education. I think, I don't know why it is. It's just such a unique profession, you know, with, especially in elementary with, with so many women, I don't know if it's that just that comparison that happens or what, but there's so many lies and myths that we put upon ourselves. A lot of times it's us internally thinking them and then, and then living them out. And it's causing us burnout. It's causing us stress, overwhelmed, and we do not want that to continue. And we can do things. And that's what you're going to share with us. Some things that we can do to really stop that right now before this next school year begins. So I would love for you to just hit on some of those myths, some of those lies that we know that we're believing. And also share a little bit about how, when you redefine success, how that really was a pivotal place for you to begin to grow. Yeah. I don't know why we tell ourselves these things. I almost think it's because we are overachievers. That's, yeah. <laughs> I think that teachers just naturally are high achieving human beings Yeah, and that might cause us to have these myths that going through our head. But also it's in part things that society says about teachers, things yeah. that admin has said to us before, things parents have said to us before too. So some of these myths are like, I have to work a lot of hours to be a great teacher. Mm-hmm. I know this one I felt, I really felt this deep inside of me, like to the yeah. core. The teacher across the hall from me, her name was Sherry. She was remarkable. She was my kiddos teacher <laughs> and I trusted her so much. And I thought she's amazing. I want to be like her. She's a mom. She's a teacher. She just has it all going. So I thought I will watch her and I will, Mm. I will emulate her. She worked late. She came in so early. She was like the first person there and the last person to leave. She said yes to everything. And so I thought I'm going to have to do that too. That's Mm. what being a great teacher means is saying yes, working more. So I had that going, but I also was myth. Number two was I was trying to do it all Mm. the stuff that I saw online. At that time, it was Pinterest. So I'm a little dating myself because I think now it'd be like TikTok. (laughs) But whatever I saw teachers doing online, I thought, I got to be doing that too. They're doing room transformations. I'll do that. (laughs) A book tasting, I'm in. And I was like throwing elaborate parties and celebrations and themes. And they're fun, but they're exhausting. And so I thought, I got to keep doing all of these things. Every week is like a new celebration and party in my classroom. Wore me out. And then myth number three, this one I feel like most teachers feel is just the good teachers, they have the highest test scores. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think admin and society really helped us to believe this that you yeah. have to have those test scores, or it's a reflection of me as a teacher. So if my students are not mastering, the goals on their IEP. If my students are not succeeding on the standardized test, then I must not be good enough. I must not be doing enough. So then I go back to revert to number two, which was, I got to do more, which means myth number one, I'm going to have to work more. And it was like this cycle. 
And that's what I believed being a good teacher was. And the thing is that if that's what you believe being a good teacher is, you'll never be able to be that teacher because there will never be enough time. No. And you'll never have every single student always master every single goal on every single test. Yeah. It's not really the way it works. And I just had this moment of clarity one day that I was chasing something that wasn't possible. And I asked myself to really, what does it mean to be a good teacher? Mm. What does that mean? And realized I need a definition that I have some control over. I have to have some control. It has to be something I can measure every day. Otherwise, my brain will tell me that I was terrible. if I can't put a check mark on the box each day. And so I rewrote my definition of success. And I talk about this in chapter one of the book, and it feels a little foo-foo to some people. And I'm not a foo-foo person. Mm-hmm. So when I put it in the book, it's it's so, so incredibly important because once you change what you think good teacher is, then you can flip through this book and find the strategies that you need the most right now. You don't have to do it all. It's like permission Mm -hmm. to say, I don't even need every chapter of this book anymore. Now that I know what success is for me, Mm -hmm. I can actually skip this because here's where I need to work. And I feel like that is taking pressure off of our shoulders. So my definition of success as a teacher, when I was in the classroom was something like, I am a good teacher when I help students to fall in love with learning while working no more than 40 hours per week. This is a totally different vision than like, I'm a good teacher. If I work 60 hours per week and do everything I see on Pinterest, right? Just helping a student fall in love with learning is something you can measure every day. On my way home from work, I could say, how did I help Mm. a student fall in love with learning today? Just any one student even. And I could think about, oh, I helped helped a student find a book who generally they don't like to read Mm. and they're excited about it. I helped a student to understand directions that were frustrating them before. I helped a student to fall in love with learning when I introduced this game or when I delivered this quality lesson today and my students were nodding their heads in agreement Mm. and just put a checkbox in my head and be like, great job. But also those hours worked. So few people include hours worked in their definition. My definition prior was like, the more hours you work, the better. Flipped it completely to working as close to my contracted hours, which were 40 hours a week made me the most successful teacher. And I had to convince my brain of this because right off the bat, my brain was like, but you'll never get it all done. Mm -hmm. It's it's true. You'll never get it all done, but you'll never get it all done when you work 60 hours a week either. (laughs) So by working the 40 hours per week and having that time to take care of myself, my family, even have hobbies outside of the classroom, which might sound crazy, (laughs) made me a better human being the next day. And so I had to start with this definition. Otherwise I was always going to be judging myself so harshly. That is, that is so, so true and so helpful. And earlier this year in January, I started a series on small steps to take for ELL success. And the first episode is defining success for ELLs because the same type of thing, we have these high standards and we go, Oh, until they're, they're fluent. None of this is successful. And really we're missing out on all these small things that are saying you're successful. You're doing this. This is exciting. And I love that of, of really looking inwardly first, before we even get to the student success and saying, what does success look like to me as a teacher? Because I think you're spot on Jamie. If, if we cannot write that statement with something that we can tangibly say, yes, I did this today. Yes. I, I think, this mm-hmm. yeah. And I think that definition has to be yours 
personally, like not when your principal wants you to write, not when your parents want you to write, but it has to be something when you read that each morning, it lights you up. Absolutely. It's the fire. It's the reason you do it. But I love how you are asking teachers to think about what success looks like for their ELLs. I challenge that in most things in life, we need to start with the question, what would success look like? Yeah, I have to do it to myself all the time, even in my personal life. So I redefined what it means to be a good mom. Mm. I have crazy ideas about that too. Like, <laughs> my kids like me. If my yeah. kids are happy. And yeah. I had to redefine that to say <laughs> it's unconditional love. Yeah. Oh, oh, okay. That, that like pressure gone. Yep. That doesn't mean my kids ought to be happy all the time, but even like what success is in, in your planning of an event, like right now I'm planning a prom party for my kids oh, and I'm getting wow. overwhelmed. Right. Yeah. You have to step back and see what does success look like with yeah. this, this exact thing? What would success look like? Yeah. In the classroom, we can do this so much more. When we start a unit, what, what would success look like in this unit? Yeah. It's probably not 100% mastery because that's that's probably not attainable but looking at the smaller things what what would that look like in your classroom at the end of the unit could you say that was well done yeah and I, I think that it takes pressure off of your shoulders instead of adding pressure because so often we think success is perfect yeah that's what we're aiming for is perfect even though we actually teach our students <laughs> right that it's okay right. not to be perfect we still are striving for perfection yes. every single day and we feel let down when we don't don't achieve it well and i think what's really important too is because of where things are right now with just so many demands being placed on teachers from administration from districts from parents it feels constantly that we're not doing enough And so I think having that definition of success of something you can control, because there's so many things that they're just outside our control. And that's what I I share with my membership all the time, where I say, you know what, you have to let the go of those things that are outside of your control. And you have to see what, what can you do? And and I love that, that word simplifying, you know, did I make a difference in a kid's life today? Did I help somebody fall in love with learning? Did I help a student who doesn't know English really feel connected and welcome? That's successful, you know? And so when we can, when we're doing those things and that, that's going to light us up. And I think, you know, and that's what you found is like, now I have a reason to come each day because I have a purpose. And Um, it's personal. So like maybe your definition of success is actually like, I am successful when I have an inclusive classroom. Yeah. Every day in your way home, you can say, what did I do today to ensure that my classroom was safe and inclusive? That might be what is your fire, but as long as you let someone else write your definition of success, you are going to struggle to meet it and to continue to be motivated by it. Well, let's move into some of the points. So once we define our success, you share a lot in your book about just the importance of routines and systems. You shared like, that was such a gift of yours. And I think sometimes when we see something as a gift, we realize like, oh, I mean, everybody probably knows this, right? (laughs) Really simplifying, I think is one of the biggest gifts right now in the world because of the overload of information and ideas and, and just things being thrown at us. So I think being able to synthesize and simplify and create systems is one of the most powerful things we can do. So why do you share and just highlight a few of the things that you did in your classroom that really transformed how you were able to do all that you could do in your contractual hours and, you know, get things done. Yeah. I think a great question to ask yourself constantly is what would this look like if it was simple? I ask myself it all the time as I, as I run not swimby teacher, cause I can get, I can get overwhelmed with all the ideas, the, yeah. the things that I want to provide. And so as a teacher too, what would this look like if it was simple? 
when you're lesson planning, if you ask yourself that, because I actually think we're asking the other question. We're like, how can I make this big and crazy and over the top? Mm. And that's sort of like what we've, that's that myth where we think we have to make it every week has to be different. Every week we're putting on this show and I really want to push back on that idea that students need us to do that. Yeah. Students need routines. They actually thrive with routines. As to adults, we actually love routines too. (laughs) And so if the administration came to you every single week and said, hey, we switched up your whole schedule every Mm -hmm. week, you would not know how to be successful. And that's what students felt like when we keep trying to change up our lessons every week. Mm-hmm. Every week they come in and we're like, I got something new for you this week. Yeah. Now every week they have to learn new procedures, new routines. They have to learn how to do the activity, how to be successful, which means they're spending significantly less time focused on the skill we actually want them to learn. So I think a lot of time can be saved and a lot of stress can be avoided if we actually seek out to have our lessons look the same every single week. Switch out the skill, yes, but the overall routine can stay the same week after week. Students start to know exactly what to expect and how to be successful. Mm -hmm. They start saying, oh, it's Wednesday. I know what we do on Wednesday. Or, oh, it's the beginning of reading time. I know what to do now. And that helps them to take risks because now they know how to be successful within the class within the lesson. So they can take a few more risks on the actual skills that we're teaching. So you'll see students start to thrive with these routines and procedures in place. So permission to let your classroom be routine. That's not the same as boring. That is not the same as boring. Routines are just things you can come to rely on. They help you. They become like your map, your guide. Now, I do think for most teachers, the best way to get to to their definition of success, and all of them are so different, but most teachers are going to have to cut back on their work hours. I'm just taking a little stab in the dark that for most teachers, that's the tricky part, right? In my definition, helping students fall in love with learning. Oh, that sounds pretty easy. Within 40 hours a week. Oh, Ooh, yeah, no. <laughs> yeah. It's so real. I do spend, yeah, I spend a lot of time in the book talking about time savers and I think mm. a big time saver for me is becoming a better planner of your time. And teachers are amazing at creating lesson plans for their students. And I do talk about how, how to bachelor lesson plans and create those a little bit quicker, but in general, teachers are so great at creating lessons for students. Like they can tell me exactly what they'll be doing at 924 next Thursday. (laughs) They know. But when it comes to their own time, they are not good stewards of it. They don't value that enough. And so I talk in the book a lot about how to plan your plan time. And everyone's plan time is different. Right off the bat, people get like really um, anxious. Like, I don't even have any plan time. (laughs) And that is so unfortunate because you deserve plan time. And if I could like, you know, push a button and make sure that all of you had a prep period that was distraction-free, meeting-free, I would do that for you. But since I can't, when I say plan time, I mean, whatever time it is that you used to plan, whether that's before school, after school, it can even be the weekend if that's what you intentionally choose. Mm-hmm. And that's really important because I know I had a coworker, her son played baseball and she wanted to leave school immediately mm-hmm. to be at the baseball game. So she chose to plan on the weekend. 
That was her intentional choice. And that's fine. Don't feel guilted if you are choosing the weekend. The problem is when you have to work on the weekend and you don't want to, you're not choosing that. So plan time. I highly recommend that you start by doing a brain dump, not a to-do list. Mm -hmm. So I think that's a huge mistake that we all make over and over. I still find myself doing it, but we just make this huge to-do list. And the title of it is problematic in and of itself. We're telling our brain, you must complete all of the things on this list in order to be successful. In order for your day to have been productive, you got to get all these things done. It's a to-do list. Mm-hmm. The reality is that list is longer than there are hours. <laughs> you were set up for failure from the totally. beginning. There was yeah. no way you could do all of that stuff. And so every day when you go home, you're like, I didn't get it all done. Yeah. Well, that's no surprise. Right. More stuff than time. <laughs> that isn't going to work, but it also it demotivates you. Because your head realizes more stuff than time. So I might as well just go talk to my teacher friend. Yes. I I, I, I don't know where to prioritize. Yeah. yeah, I'm going to go tell her how terrible I've got it because I don't know what else to do. I don't know where to start. And that's normal. It feels really hard to start when you realize you're not going to be successful. Yeah. Nobody wants to start something when they know they aren't going to be successful at it. Not our students and not us. So So instead, a brain dump is different. Get all the stuff out of your head that your head thinks it needs to do. Mm-hmm. It, it's wrong. It doesn't need to do all those things, but you don't want your head holding on to them because when you get home and you're like trying to enjoy your family time or try to sleep, guess what? Your head's gonna be like, don't forget, you didn't do this. You still mm-hmm. have to do this. Did you email so-and-so? Hey, what about writing this IEP? What about, did you call the parent? And you won't be able to rest and enjoy your downtime. So brain dump is essential. Get it all out of your head, but this is not a to-do list. This is not a list of the things you're about to do. This yeah. is just a list of the things your brain thinks you need to do. There's a difference. Yeah. You're going to look through this list once you've given yourself time to bring up it all and circle the things that are the highest priority. These are things where there will be a negative consequence if you do not complete these items this week. Mm. And so you have to get real because your brain's instantly going, I can do them all. Mm-hmm. They're all important, but you're going to have to push and say, are they, will there be a negative consequence if I don't do this? There are things like changing out bulletin boards. Especially if it's like spring and you still have Christmas bulletin board up, you're like, I have to, yep, got to do it. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, if you've gone this long, <laughs> probably one more week isn't going to matter, right? There isn't yeah. really going to be a negative consequence unless your principal said, if you don't take down those owls, <laughs> I'm going to have to. But there are things that are essential. Like if you have an IEP meeting that right. is scheduled or a parent-teacher conference that is scheduled, those types of things are essential. If you have a dentist appointment, right? That's essential. Those things go on your calendar in a time slot and you're actually going to calendar for when you can complete the activity, not just work on the activity. Mm. And that is key. I know I would do things like, okay, after school, I'm going to work on grading. (laughs) The problem with this is that when I needed to go home, whatever time it was, no matter what time it was, my head would be like, ah, you didn't finish all the grading. So you fail. But the reality was I never, I didn't have enough time to grade it all. Even if I sat there and really got to work, I wasn't going to grade it all. So instead, break it up into time slots. So if you've got from 3.30 to 4, you're not going to be able to do all your grading, but maybe you could say something like grade five writing essays. You're breaking Mm -hmm. it into a micro task. Maybe you can't complete the entire IEP that you need to do, but maybe you could break it into just one set of tasks that you're going to do towards completing that IEP. Whatever your big task is, you're going to break it into a smaller piece that you could actually complete in 30 minutes. That's what you're putting in that calendar slot. Mm -hmm. At the end of that time, you will feel successful because you did exactly what you said you were going to do. Did you get everything done? No, 
you were never going to get everything done, but you did exactly what you said you would do, which feels good and becomes a catalyst for getting even more done during your work hours. Because when you feel good about completing something, you move on to the next project with that same excitement and motivation versus the, I didn't get it all done. That that's not motivating to start the next project. Oh, that's so that's so true, and I still struggle with this. It's just I do too. I have to habit. remind myself. Yep, I have to remind myself. I will find myself just going back to old habits real yes, easily. Yes. Go, wait, 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 Jamie. Yep. You know you don't do well when you do it this way. Yeah. And so I have to get out my calendar. I love those calendars that are broken down by the hours, uh-huh. so that you can put in the time slots which you are going to do. This is nothing to do with your students' lesson plans. Yeah. This is on your time. This is the time before school starts, during a prep period, if you have one, after school ends, weekends. This is your personal time and work time. They kind of intermingle. It'd be Mm -hmm. crazy if we didn't admit that, but they kind of intermingle. And so this is your time. How will you be spending it? Calendar it. Similar to how you lesson plan for students. For students, we have it down to the minute. We know that we cannot pee until 1023. (laughs) And so we got to hold it. What's amazing is how the brain works with routines. Going back to that is even, you know, if we, if you start implementing this into your week, you're going to see how your body, your brain naturally is drawn to this type of routine and planning. I mean, I do this, you know, for myself and it's, it's amazing how on Sundays now I know my brain knows, okay, this is brain dump time. This is where you just get it all out. And so don't be, don't feel like, oh, uh, you know, like my, I know my personality is not structured and <laughs> that's mm-hmm. not how I'm a, oh, let's just go with it. But then when you have the buildup of, oh, I didn't do this today. And now tomorrow, like you're saying, you feel already defeated. Mm-hmm. And then that build, okay, now I have to really, you know, I have all these parent emails that I haven't gotten to, and it feels so overwhelming and learning to just say like, okay, if I can answer five emails in these next 30 minutes, what that does to our brain now we feel successful. We feel motivated. We've, we've moved things forward over, like you said, which I'm so guilty of. I'd go next door and just start to, to blab about how I'm overwhelmed and how I can't keep up. And, and we, we all did that. Yes. So, yeah, and it's, a, it's amazing how it's like, you know what, if I don't go on Instagram for this half hour, what can I get done in this half hour? That's going to move things forward. And now I'm propelling myself forward instead of feeling mm-hmm. even more defeated. And yeah. and I I love that of just it is those simple things of finding finding those routines for ourselves so that we can show up for our kids during their lessons and, and during our teaching time, but also really, you know, hold those go boundaries. home. Yeah. So you can, can go, go home. home. And what I have learned too is there's so many times looking back when I was teaching and even now it's like I feel busy, but the things that I'm doing really are not, like you're saying, the high priority things that really have a negative consequence if I don't get them done. I'm spending my time doing things. And especially when I was teaching, I'd be like, oh, I should rearrange the books in my library right now. It's a great idea. I need to do this right now. And it's like, I wish future Beth would be like, no, this is a terrible idea. Don't do that right now. Oh, Um, there's so much there. So yeah, (laughs) when you have a to-do list, your brain will actually try to pick the easiest task off the list. Absolutely, yeah. Instead of naturally picking what's most important. So that's why you have, you actually have to ask it, what's the most important task on this list? Because if you don't, You'll you'll be rearranging library books because that yeah. sounds more fun to you <laughs> exactly. than whatever other task you ought to be doing. Creating new and labels. If, but, <laughs> but if you don't do the most important task, you go home 
feeling very discouraged. But I love how you talked about future Beth, because that's so important about asking yourself if you'd be willing to do this for your future self. Yeah. Because the right now in the moment self is like, oh, I yes. don't want to do it. But what about the future you? What about the you tonight or the you next week? How will that person feel if right now you planned out your week? How would that make you feel a day, two days from now? That for me is inspiring. That helps to push me when I'm feeling like, I don't want to do this. This is is a lot because I'm a creative person and I find it a little bit difficult to sit down and like do the legit planning. And so I have to push (laughs) myself and it's okay if you're like that and you have to make yourself do it at first, then it becomes routine. It's like brushing your teeth. Your mom had to make you do it when you were a kid, but now it's pretty routine, right? You you don't leave the house without brushing your teeth. (laughs) You're you're good with it. (laughs) Exactly. I love it. Well, let's move into, we're running out of time here, but if you're, if you want more of this type of information, advice, strategies, definitely check out Jamie's book. We'll share it at the end, but I want to get into setting boundaries because especially my listeners who are, you know, pushing into classrooms, multiple classrooms, working with multiple grade levels. A lot of them, I know they're on call for translating or they have to go in and sub now, which don't get me started on that, (laughs) but they're really kind of just on call for multiple different areas that they need to support in. So that's where a lot of them are feeling burned out and just super overwhelmed. What are some strategies that you would share with them or some techniques that they can use to establish those boundaries and really protect their time. Yeah. So first of all, I think that most people, and I included, have a negative connotation when they hear the word boundary. Mm -hmm. And I had to do some real self-exploration about why the word boundary felt icky to me because it did. Boundary to me, I realized, was everyone else telling me what they needed from me kind of thought of it like on the soccer field or the football field. It was the lines that kept me in place Mm. and I couldn't come outside of those lines. It was admin telling me what to do, parents telling me what to do. And so boundaries were things people were putting on me. Mm. Well, yeah, if you don't have your own boundaries and it's just boundaries other people are throwing on top of you, then boundaries feel really icky. They're what's keeping you from getting where you want to go in your head. The reality is that boundaries are your permission to say no. Mm. And that's a much more empowering definition than like people telling me what to do. A boundary is a permission to say no. And the reality is that if you don't have boundaries, then people will figure that out fast and you will quickly become the person they go to over and over again. Mm -hmm. It's no fault of theirs because if you think about it, there are probably people in your life who don't have as many boundaries and you go to them for assistance and help <laughs> too. But we also respect boundaries quite a bit. We really do. Mm-hmm. And so if we remember that people respect boundaries as long as they're communicated. Yeah. So my doctor's office, they have hours. They're like oh, nine to five, eight to five. I don't expect to be able to call the office at seven o'clock and book an appointment. Mm-hmm. I don't expect to be able to just walk in whenever I want. That's not how the doctor's office or the dentist's office works. And we, we're okay with that. Even Chick-fil-A, they're not open <laughs> on Sundays. Yeah. That's a boundary that's set. And you might not like it. You might like be like, oh, I wish I could have chicken on Sunday. But at the same time, you recognize that they set a boundary yeah. and there's that's, that's how it is. So we 
as human beings should set our own boundaries. This does not mean you are a mean person. This does not mean you are not a good teacher. And in fact, if you kind of switched it around and said, good teachers have boundaries, mm-hmm. imagine how much easier it would be to create boundaries if you can keep telling your mind that good teachers set boundaries. Because if you don't, then you're not going to be working those hours you want and focused on the goals that you want in your classroom. Mm-hmm. So boundaries are your permission to say no, and you do have permission. Now, some simple boundaries. There's lots of boundaries that teachers probably want to have, but some that you definitely should have. Remove your work email from any of your devices, any mm. of your personal devices. This is so hard for you to do. They're like, I don't know. I got to be able to see the email the second it comes in. Yeah. But you know, it causes you stress. Yep. So some teachers will tell me like, I just want to check the email on the weekend. So I get a head start on Monday. But what happens is you get an email from a parent who says something and you don't agree with it. And so what do you do? I know this is what I do. I used to do. I would talk to my husband. I'd be like, can you believe the parent said this? This is actually what happened. You know, and he kind of listened like he cared. And then like, you know, a couple hours later, I'm like, and you know what else about that parent? (laughs) Yeah, you're just. (laughs) It's like, it it wasn't going away. And so I brought it into my personal space. So that that weekend, I actually gave to that parent. Mm. So whether or not what they said was right or wrong in the email, I let them take my personal time. So remove your email. And if you use things like Class Dojo or any other communication with school, parents, coworkers, that is about work. Remove it from your device. Mm. Here's the thing. Your principal has your phone number. If there's an emergency, they can call you. And that is a perfectly reasonable boundary to make. You can communicate this boundary by setting an out of office email every Friday when you leave the building, set an email that says, I'm so excited to get your email. However, I am spending the weekend with my family. I will return the message by the end of business day Monday. When we get these emails, we're like, all right, I mean, you and I, we've exactly. both gotten them before. Okay, <laughs> yep. cool. Yep. Wow. She's pretty cool, actually. Yeah, exactly. I really That's pretty fancy, <laughs> Yeah. right? but we don't do it ourselves. Do it. In fact, you could set them for every day. You don't have to set it for just the weekend. You can set it for every day as you leave. In your signature of your email, put your work hours. Mm -hmm. Everyone else has work hours. Teachers can have work hours. If your work hours are from eight to four, put it in the signature. And it can even say emails received after work hours will be answered the following business day. That is perfectly acceptable boundary to have. Mm. And it's just one. And see, the thing is when you start to implement one boundary and Mm. you feel like, oh, that worked, people are respectful of it. Then you can start to add on additional boundaries. So last night I was talking to a teacher and she said, during my plan time, people keep coming in and interrupting Mm. me. Mm -hmm. And I said, what if you put a sign on your door that said, "Um, unless this is an emergency, can you please just send me an email? I will be available at blank time. Yeah. And that felt so freeing to her because the reality was that most of the interruptions weren't emergencies. They were things that someone could just email her about. And it set the tone for her coworkers that during this time, she's doing her hard work. She needs to be focused and thinking. So send her an email and she'll get back to you relatively quickly unless there's an emergency. And then you, of course, can walk right in if there's an emergency. That is a very reasonable boundary to have. And people will respect you if you communicate it. Yes. Don't expect anyone to um, understand your boundaries if you are not communicating them. What a great point. And I, I think, you know, what's really exciting is 
other people will start to set boundaries too. I think it takes, you know, that one or two teachers who start to begin to say, you know what? No, like I'm not going to work all night. I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to answer emails as soon as they come in. And other people say, wow, okay, I, I respect that. You know, I want that life too. This is just so helpful, Jamie. Thank you so much for sharing with us today. Can you let everybody know where they can find more about you and also your book? Absolutely. The book is called How to Love Teaching Again. And I think it's a book for teachers who feel burnt out or close to burnout, but it's also for teachers who don't want to get to the place where they are burned out. They want sustainable ideas right now for their career. So you can find more about me and the book at notsoimpyteacher.com. The book is also available anywhere you buy books online, Amazon, Target, Barnes & Noble. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Jamie. And everyone, make sure you go and grab this book because I I love that. This isn't just for teachers who are on the verge of being burnt out. This is so helpful for teachers who are having a great year or had a great year and just really want to set up and really streamline some of the things that maybe were a headache this last year. So, all right. Thanks, Jamie. Have a great day. Thank you. Thank you for joining me in today's episode. All links and resources mentioned can be found in the show notes. If you're looking for even more support and done for you resources created specifically for the needs of ELLs, head to inspiringyounglearners.com. I'll catch you here next week. Until then, take that next step to keep equipping your ELLs.